The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Welcome to the We Are LCC podcast. I'm Christine Jones, your host, alum, parent, and the school's alumni officer. You don't want to miss this informative conversation about AI and education with LCC's Technology Integration Coordinator, Fiona Nansen, and Constance McGuire, LCC's Director of Academics. This is a whole new world for our students and teachers. And please note, the show notes were not created with ChatGPT. Welcome, Fiona and Constance. Thank you so much for being with us today. I am very excited to learn a lot more about AI and just want to say thanks again for taking the time to be with us to have this conversation, which I'm sure everybody's on the edge of their seats about because it's a hot, hot topic. (laughs) And we're excited to be here too, but I'm going to add to what you just said. I feel like we're both going to learn um, from Fiona, who living in the world of technology knows a great deal about the way artificial intelligence has been around for much longer than most people will think. I am excited to learn about it. And I'd love you then to start if you could just tell us what is AI and how does it work and give us any kind of background to let the listeners sort of get a sense of of it from the beginning. Well, AI has been around as an idea since the 1920s. So it's relatively new. It was mathematically proposed um, in about 1921 and was proven possible in the 1930s mathematically. However, it wasn't really until Isaac Asimov started writing about robots and robots being humanistic that the research actually started to go in that direction. So research funding started for artificial intelligence in the 50s and 60s. And the first real artificial intelligence that was able to do something that had been considered only human wasn't until um, 2013, around and 2015, where the computer was able to play Go against some of the best players in the world. Now, Go is considered one of the most intellectual games in the world. It's one of the most challenging, and it was something that was considered only available to humans. Now, in 2015, Google programmed a computer to be able to play Go, And that was sort of the dawn of modern AI where machines could learn from their interactions with humans. So it's really new. Then, as we all know, last year, ChatGPT was able to take massive amounts of data and begin to create language or text that sounded more human. So it's everything is going so fast. Right. It's funny, actually, because just for fun, after we had discussed the questions that we were going to talk about today, I did a chat GPT and I put, give me 10 questions on if for a podcast about AI. And it spat out almost the identical questions with a little bit more verbiage that we had already sort of put down. But it's just mesmerizing the stuff that you can get out of it. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, and what's really exciting about AI is that it's new. It's different. And it's something that I think can really benefit us as long as we use it well. And, and I think that was one of the concerns when ChatGPT kind of burst onto the landscape. Teachers, 
in, most teachers reacted with fear. What will this mean for what I do in my classroom? What will it do for students learning how to to write and to think critically? And and I will say that our first reaction was like, we don't want it, we don't want it, we don't want it. And till we had time to stop and be intentional and thoughtful about how can we use it for good and not for evil? How can we teach students how to use this as a tool and to use it effectively and with integrity? And let me be clear, we're, we haven't figured all of it out yet, we're, but this is a, a, a road of inquiry for all of us. I know we're going to focus a lot on education, but what are the other sort of main areas that it's being used right now? Well, AI has been used for about the last 10 maybe 12 years in all sorts of things. Uh, most people have Alexa or Google at home. The, the software behind it is the beginnings of AI. And it's where it used voice recognition to be able to answer your questions, make suggestions. You know, when you ask, hey, Google, tell me a joke, that is actually using AI based on other questions you've already asked it because it's going to try and build it on your own humor. And that keeps growing the thing about AI is the more information we put into it, the better it becomes. The other tools that AI is used for, um, facial recognition on your phone, um, when you get the fraud alerts from the bank, that's all based in AI. Uh, other places that it's used are um, when you're Google searching. So Google actually, when they, you accept all those cookies, it's actually remembering all the things that you've searched for in the past, and it keeps the searches similar enough based on what you click. And so all of those things are AI-driven. AI grows exponentially. The more information we put into all of these software programs, the better it becomes. And that is also where the drawbacks are. Because remember, you're putting information in and you're basically sharing it out to wherever you've put it. So if we flip back to education, what would you say are the main benefits of using it? I mean, we'll definitely hit on the sort of maybe some negative or ethical considerations after, but what would you say the benefits are? It tailors to learning. It saves time. There are lots of softwares out there that we can use so that it is self-directed learning. One of the big benefits for teachers is that if they need more ideas, there's a software out there that can help them generate ideas. We're looking at new software that somebody is developing for marking. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. So I want to mention in particular, we have um, a couple of alum who've started a company called Testus, T-E-Z-T-U-S, that is uh, it's using AI to create a, a a program for marking um, student work that they want to use to, you know, create efficiency for teachers. It certainly doesn't replace the teacher. The teacher has full control over the final results and can and provides the, you know, the mark scheme and, and can comment on student work. But it's a way of taking some of those mundane teaching tasks, using AI to make it more efficient and giving students more timely feedback as a way of then creating time for teachers to do things that only teachers can do. So, and that's one thing I want to make sure that I'm really clear on as well is that there's, I, I don't foresee a future where teachers are replaced by AI. I foresee a future where teachers work is supported by AI, just as, you know, other technology tools that have, have come along the way that teachers have learned to, to use them to support their teaching so that they can spend more time on, you know, things that only a teacher can do. 
And that's the, the big benefit is that time-saving measure. Photomath is a software that the students all use and our teachers actually encourage them to use because it allows the students to check their work. It provides the step-by-step solution. It has several different solutions based on what the student has actually written And the students can then learn from that. And the teacher doesn't have to go through each student's paper to check whether they've done each step mathematically correct. There's a software that can do that for them. So that gives the teacher more time to teach new concepts, to work with those students who really aren't getting that particular concept themselves and allows the students who are just needing a little bit of correction to have that without having to take that teacher time. So, and forgive my non-technology infused brain, but let's say, so the student puts their work in and something, they must get some kind of results where they, so the feedback is they got certain, um, I don't know, questions wrong. So obviously they're, they don't understand that concept. Does the student then have to go tell the teacher? Does the teacher see something on a computer somewhere and is like, oh, this student needs help with questions three, five, and seven? Like how does the interaction and how does that whole thing get completed so that the student actually learns what they're missing? So it depends on the AI itself or the software that they're using. For example, in the literacy program we use at school, the students are reading and doing activities and reading out loud to the software. And then the software generates a report that is then sent to the teacher to say, the student is struggling with this aspect of literacy development. These are some recommendations that you can do hands-on with that student to help develop those skills. So that teacher has specific activities that are geared towards that particular skill set. Other software where it's student-driven, like Photomath, we don't necessarily get that feedback as the teacher, but the students are getting it themselves. So it depends on the software, but it depends on what we're using. The software around TestDesk would then give the teachers all the information about what the students are doing. Google Classroom has a new set of a new tool called practice sets that is also AI driven that then gives the teacher feedback on what the students struggled on, what particular aspect of the questions the students struggled on, how many times they looked at that question before they got it right, what videos they looked at to help support them get to that point of learning. And it provides that feedback to the teacher. And then the teacher can use their professional judgment to say, okay, this particular concept is something that one student is struggling with or all of my students are struggling with. So it brings it back to the teacher to then use their professional skills to build on what the, the feedback that the AI has given them. Wow. I, I didn't even know a quarter of that. It's incredible of all the stuff that goes on sort of behind the scenes with it. It is incredible. And, and I want to go back to test us again. And you know, I, the reason I want to make sure that I have a moment to talk about that is that it is a program um, you know, that's been started by one of our alum. And so we also see this as an opportunity for our alum to get into, uh, you know, fields that are, are, are changing the way, you know, the, the world works. Um, and so we're actually c- connecting with Testis to run a pilot project. Um, the, you know, the alum who started it uh, has met with um, Fiona and I and our director of technology. We're going to have a pilot involving teachers using it in their classrooms because it is a, it is a new um, program to give them feedback on what's useful for teachers and, you know, developing it so that it is a tool that they can then market on a, on a wider basis. So it, it, to me, it's a really exciting partnership with our alum. It is. And was it two of them? Was it Jackson and Maya that started it? For, were they? Well, I believe Jackson started it and then Maya came on board. And then Helen Jong is another alum who's come on board as well. I'm going to add it to the show notes because this is very exciting. 
Absolutely. And one of the great things I think about that particular project is we can showcase to both our teachers and students and our parents the importance of AI and how that we, if we teach it ethically, if we talk about how to use it and teach students to use it well, it can be a real career builder, a real thing for their future. Like we have these students who are already doing something innovative and cutting edge. And this is a great model for our other students going forward. Right. So you did mention if we if you teach it ethically. So what are then some of the ethical considerations of using AI in the classroom and, and how I guess can educators navigate those issues? So this was one of the, the our fearful reactions is how will we know if it's actually the students' work? And we have had, you know, we teachers have talked about this and and I still remember the teacher who said, I am only going to have my students handwrite work in class. That's what I will accept from them because of that fearfulness. That's going back to like the 80s. <laughs> exactly. So and given the fact that we're at a one-to-one iPad or, or laptop school starting from grade seven up, you know, that takes away using that as a tool as well. But I think one of the things that has calmed those fears down a little bit is, you know, the um, the IBO came out with their statement on um, the use of AI, and they are very clear that they are not going to ban the use of AI, that it is the, now the teacher's professional responsibility to teach students to use it ethically. We have modified um, to a degree our, our academic integrity policy to represent that, that this is another tool that you know students may use but as long as they are taught how to use it properly and to cite it so for example um, if you use AI in doing research it needs to become part of your work cited if you have um, content that was completely generated from AI it is it's directly quoted material that's not your original material you have to cite it properly Um, And so that's part of the teacher's responsibility now to make sure that students know I can use this as a starting point, but I still need to say that I used it. And if I quote material from it directly, just as if I, you know, quoted it from a website, I need to acknowledge that it was, you know, somebody else's work, or in this case, it was AI's work. Um, And, and, you know, and I would also say that, you know, we would have an expectation for professionals to do that. Um, If professionals are using it to generate emails or things like that, that they cite the source of it, of what they have done. And in fact, when I created our, um, you know, LCC statement on the use of AI tools, I cited the sources that I used to make sure that I was demonstrating what would be a good habit. <laughs> yes, but no, it makes sense. You're leading by example. But you know, I have, I have a quick question. So like years ago, I guess when students started using the internet as a source, uh, you know, for research, wasn't there some kind of software that teachers could use that could sort of like scan the, the kids' essays and see if it was matching something that was pulled off the web? But with AI or the chat GPT stuff, my understanding is that you cannot find it if they've used it. It depends. Like, the problem with ChatGPT and ChatGPT4 and some of the others that are creating text, they do create it well. There are some inherent biases in it. It is very American-centric. Um, it is ethnocentric. So we have to be careful with all of those things. So there are some tells within it. If you're an educator and you're reading something, there are certain things that you can start to see this doesn't quite hold true to Canadian writing. Turnitin is the software program that we use for detecting plagiarism. They're working as hard and as fast as they can to create ways to question whether something is created by AI, whether it has too many certain 
nuances that don't sound human enough. The problem with AI is that it is getting better and better and better the more people use it. So Turnitin is having a hard time keeping up with how much better the AI is becoming. I'm not sure that an AI detector is really the way that we need to look at it. If we're not hiding from using it, if we're not making it something to be shameful, then, and we're talking about sourcing it and we're talking about how to use it and then edit it and make it your own, then it becomes less of something that people try to hide and we have less need to try and detect it. Also, if you're reading a paper of a a student's written for you and it's not their voice, it's not them, There's a lot more to writing when you create something that comes from who you are. And AI cannot detect your voice and the way you would say things and the way your ideas are conveyed. And so a teacher knows their students. And so there's a lot more of the professional judgment that teachers are going to have to use as they read through student work if they're concerned about a student using AI to generate something. I'm going to jump in to say there's also a practice, you know, for the example, in the IB diploma program, when students do an extended essay, a 4,000 word research paper, and the, the very last interaction that they have with their supervisor is called the Viva Voce. And it's the opportunity for the, you know, not only a celebration of the culmination of this work, but for the supervisor to ask some questions about the content in their essay, just to, to have a final check of that they, this, this truly was their original work. And this is something I think we will see happening more and more. So Fiona talks about, you know, recognizing a student's voice. That is something that teachers have always done. But I know AI is getting better at imitating people's voices as well, that at some point, then you need to be able to ask students about like, why did you, you know, say this in this paragraph? And if a student can't explain it, then that might be an area of concern. But again, going back to making sure that students know that it's okay to use AI to generate ideas, but we also want to make sure that they understand the ideas that they're putting in a paper, because any teacher would rather read the student's own ideas and work than, you know, an artificial intelligence. One of the other ethical considerations that I really want to mention, too, is we have to be careful what we put into AI. So when students are preparing something, you want to be careful about what information you're giving to the world of AI. If you're putting in personal information, if you're adding your personal photos, you have to think about the fact that you're putting it out into the world for other people to use. And the parts of that photo, the parts of that text that you're putting into it now have become part of that machine learning that can then be used by somebody else. So we have to be very careful about what we put into it. It's not just about what it gives out. It's about what we're giving to it. Because remember, it's learning. And there's no privacy laws, obviously, protecting us as the, I don't know, consu- not, we're not a consumer. I don't even know what the word would be, the user. Yeah. Well, the the privacy laws don't apply because it's you that's putting it in. Right, right, right. Oh, God. It's actually, that's that's overwhelming to try to teach to kids, I I can imagine. Are there any other potential risks or challenges that you see in using it in, in education? The big one to me is bias. Like you have to really look at what comes out of it and read it through to make sure that the bias that is in the data, because it is very American centric, isn't conveying the wrong message. So that's one of the big, my big concerns is the data sets are, are not, they don't have a lot of other ethnicities in them. So is that one thing that you're sort of teaching the teachers how to effectively 
explain this to the kids about AI, its ethical use, the bias that comes with it, and so on and so forth? That's a big part of the discussions that we're having with teachers going forward. We're looking at, you know, how can we use this? What are the ethical considerations? How can you integrate it for your own practice? How can you then teach the proper use of these tools to students? Um, how can you show them the challenges of it? Because, yes, it's an easy way to write an essay, but it brings about a whole bunch of other challenges. So the students have to be aware of that. Other than the chat GPT, I know you mentioned some other softwares. Are there other tools and technologies that are being used in the class in education or in our classrooms? Oh, yeah. DeepL is a translation software that is entirely driven by AI. And it's one that people don't even realize is AI. It's AI driven. It's wonderful. The kids use it. Teachers use it. I use it. What else? Kahoot. So what's the difference then? Sorry, because oh, and I do want to hear about Kahoot and all of it. But between the DeepL and let, let's say Google Translate, when you say that, you know, DeepL's AI, is it because it's learning as you're putting stuff in, so it's more tailored to your voice? Like, forgive me if these questions don't make sense, but I'm trying to wrap my head around it too. It has a greater access to a database of language. So it has greater language sample. Google Translate is very limited in its language sample, whereas DeepL has a language sample, it has Canadian French in it, it has French from France, it has French from the Caribbean. And so it provide it has a lot more, I would say, word usage that other translation softwares don't. And yes, the more people that use it, the more of those nuances of language get built into it. So that's why it is better than most. It's not perfect. And there's ones that are even better. But they, the one of the things about AI is it takes a lot of computational power. You know, it takes a lot of computer work. And that computer work is costly. So a lot of the good AI softwares are very expensive. So you were continuing to say Kahoot. You were going to give us some other tools and technologies that are used. Kahoot, is, you can put in ideas about... That's a topic that you want to create a quiz for in Kahoot, and it will actually generate different questions and it will pull images from the internet and create a whole quiz now just based on the information that you put into it. Canva is another one we use, and it will create images that are AI driven. You give it a bunch of ideas and it will create a poster that has all of the information that you've put into it with imagery and all that kind of stuff, and then you can rearrange it and create an infographic, for example. What's another one that we're using? Slide Go. If you put in topics about, say, I want to prepare a Google Slides presentation about photosynthesis, it will actually create, like, say, 12 slides about photosynthesis, and then you can go in and edit them. So it creates those for you already. Magic School AI is another software that teachers are using. And you put in an idea and it creates a lesson plan. You can tailor it to the age category. You can tailor it to the Lexile level. So the how, what level of reading that you're working on. And it will give you ideas of what you can do, um, different activities you can do. And then you can take that and then build it into what you want to do for your classroom. So those are all little tools that we have people using already. And then, of course, there's there's starting to develop subject-specific 
um, AI tools, uh, you know, and, and Fiona's done a great job of like collating different tools that she thinks that teachers would find useful and posting them on the technology website. So, but it, again, you know, time is, is probably the most precious resource a teacher has. This isn't something that teachers will learn how to use as experts overnight. Um, but having being exposed to them and, and you know, get, getting a sense of the, the curated list that Fiona provides of saying, okay, I'll start with these and see where I can go with them. So you're tailoring it to different subject areas, then are you also tailoring things to the different grade levels? I mean, it must be different from K to 12 versus universities and so on and so forth. For sure. And there's different tools that we will present to both students and teachers to use, depending on what their needs are. How does AI then, well, we've touched a bit upon it, but how it has obviously changing the way that we're teaching in schools and is transforming the traditional classroom experience. So how do you see this working for the future in education? What sort of innovations or trends should we kind of be on the lookout for? I think that there's going to be a lot of the time-saving tasks available. So the things that are very mundane, the things that students need to learn by rote learning, such as your times tables in, you know, the third grade, I think those kind of things are going to be more and more done through AI, whereas the practical, practical application and the learning how to apply stuff is going to be done entirely by the classroom teacher. And then we have that sort of integration of the two. The teacher can spend more time teaching those skills that can't be taught by using a computer and um, getting feedback from the computer. But then the skills that need to be mastered that are just need to be done are going to be more and more done by the technology that's available. I think that we have to teach students how to use AI and to use it well, because it is something that is in the workplace. People are using it to write emails in the workplace. People are using it to generate reports. So how do we teach them to ask the questions of AI, to put things into it, to generate something that is usable and effective and ethical as they move forward in the world? So I think it's going to, we're going to have a whole set of things where we need to teach them to use it well because it is a reality of the future. And what about its use in assistive technologies and supporting students with divergent learning styles or neurodivergent learners? Well, I think that's one of the biggest places where it's working really well. Um, We have a literacy development program that is entirely based on AI, which we've talked about before. We use um, a math program that has AI built into it in the junior school. I think those sort of tools are going to get better and better, and they're going to become more and more complex. And so we're going to have access to them at the senior levels where we will be able to have the way the students need the materials presented to them to fit their learning needs available to them in the classroom. One of the things that I think is going to happen is that we will have less need for that pull-out model because we'll have tools available to students that they will be able to use easily within the classroom. That's where I see the future of AI really going, is that those things that they need are just going to be readily available to them. We're looking at testing situations. We talked about marking assessments, but the software that we use to do testing on the computer, they're looking at how they can benefit from AI to make it even easier for teachers to create testing situations using technology and all of those things. So I think that there's going to be 
uh, a real future for AI to really support individual learning needs without it being as complicated and challenging as it can be. So it really seems because, you know, everyone, like you said, is sort of panicking at the beginning about students maybe using it. I'm saying it in quotes, but like cheating on things or like this is going to replace teachers, this is going to replace people in the workforce. But it seems to me, whether it's on the teacher side or the student side, the impact of it is really as an amazing support tool. The traditional teacher is not getting replaced and traditional student work isn't being replaced. Everything's just being supported and enhanced in a different way. I would also say, too, that one of the things that teachers will be able to spend more time focusing on is developing students' critical thinking skills. And I think especially as we look to the fact that, you know, more and more people, you know, get their news from social media and and misinformation, disinformation campaigns, like we need to have strong critical thinking skills so that we can think for ourselves. It's great to have AI do thinking for me. Like, I love my GPS when I'm driving somewhere and I put that into Google Maps and it tells me where to go. But at the same time, I know it's made me lazier. I don't pay attention to landmarks, things like that. And if it ever went out, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm lost. You know, now I can figure it out, but it would take some brain power. And I think this is where we need to make sure that students can still think for themselves or think for themselves better than, uh, than a machine can. It's so true. That's funny that you mentioned the GPS because I tend to put it in to places that I go regularly. And I'm like, I don't actually need the directions for this. Why am I putting it in? Well, I just think that we need to develop good habits with it. It, it yeah. is here. It is here for the future. I think it's a tool that we need to develop our skills and we need to develop good habits with it. And I think just like people were afraid of the calculator, people were afraid of AI, and now the calculator is everywhere and we don't even question using it. I think 10 years from now, the conversation is going to be, okay, just put it into this program. It's going to give you a place to start. Yeah, that's a really good comparable, actually. We don't know what we don't know, but when you look back on all of these new things that have sort of come across, whether it's education or anywhere, all of a sudden it becomes normal. Yeah. So, Is there anything else that either of you would like to add or share with regards to the conversation? I think one of the things that Fiona and I are going to try to do, have been trying to do too, is, is reframing this from, you know, accepting it with fear to accepting it with excitement. And that's going to be different for different teachers. Because like I said, I think when it first came out, our, the main reaction was fearfulness. Um, but I think, you know, reframe with excitement is here's what you can do with it. Isn't this wonderful? And going from there. And I also think too, you know, and this happens with many forms of technology, students get onto it before teachers. And that sometimes creates fear for teachers. They're like, I don't know how to do it, but the students know how to do it. Let's learn from our students. Right. Oh, that's so true. How have you been using it? What, what did you find? And, and going from there. So yeah, that's a great point. I think it's a, we have a great place to start. I think it's going to provide us with an opportunity to really create fairness within the learning, like as long as we look at how we can use it to best benefit every student, mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of opportunity. Well, thank you very much for joining me today on the uh, We Are LCC podcast. I really appreciate the time that you both took to shed some light on this very exciting new and innovative technology that I'm sure we will keep learning about on a daily basis at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to lcc.ca slash podcast.
And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.